Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. This is wearing you all out, isn't it? Wearing you all, I've been told pretty much the same thing every day. Stay home, only go out if you have to. Wash your hands. Good advice. I think the overwhelming majority of us understand. But everybody can't stay at home. Or we wouldn't have any food on the table, would we? Everybody can't stay home. Or the masks and the gloves that you order... And the hand sanitizer you order wouldn't show up at your house, would it? Everybody can't stay home. You wouldn't get mail, would you? Everybody can't stay home. Or you wouldn't get the pharmaceuticals you need. You wouldn't be able to go to the grocery store. You wouldn't be able to go to the gas station. A lot of people aren't staying home. A lot of people are working very, very hard under very difficult conditions. And a lot of people are out of work and their businesses are closing because governors have shut them. The president hasn't shut anything. Governors have shut them. Now, I've been trying to think about this, really look deeply into this. So, ProPublica, Media Matters, Wikipedia, Mediaite, all the other losers, they won't understand this, but you will. There has got to be a way to get other big chunks of the economy working again. Because other aspects of the economy are working. And they're working in hot zones too. So how can that be? How can that be? Now I understand gatherings into large groups have consequences. But people don't have to gather in large groups in order to work. So while it won't help everybody, I talked about this yesterday. It wasn't my idea, somebody else's. There does need to be an economic task force, a blue ribbon task force, much like the coronavirus task force. You have experts who are focusing only and simply on the health care side. That's great. But if we don't have an economy... There will be no health care side. There'll be no food side. There'll be no housing side. There'll be no side, period. Now, I admire some of these governors and these mayors. But they're now in a position where they're just begging for stuff. I mean, they're trying to do what they can within their states and within their cities, but they're basically just begging. Some of them are demanding, arrogantly, that people provide them with the things that they need. And many of these are politicians who didn't give pandemics 
a second thought or who had a choice between solar panels and ventilators and chose solar panels. That would be Cuomo. Or the state of New York, which has been horribly mismanaged, which lost 25 to 35% of its hospital beds over a 20-year period, going down from 77,000 to 50-some thousand. That's unacceptable. And they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. You have small businesses. Restaurateurs are out of business. Small banks are trying to figure out what to do. You've got landlords and tenants. It's a very complicated and complex economy that we have here, ladies and gentlemen. And anybody who thinks the federal government can run it through loans and subsidies and this, well, they're wrong. Loans and subsidies are for an emergency. They're not for the broad-based economy. The government can't replace the economy. It just can't. And it's not going to. They tried it in Venezuela. They tried it in Cuba. They've tried it in other places. Of course, they don't put smiles on their faces. As the people who suggest to us that they not how to manage all these things do. And then we have diabolical forces in this country. Elements of the media. The leadership of the Democrat Party. Among others. It's as if they're rooting against us. It's as if they're trying to sabotage us. Nancy Pelosi has already announced an investigative committee to look into this. Well, they should look into themselves for how they conducted themselves, how they basically closed down the United States Congress. The House Intelligence Committee wasn't looking at China or any viruses. It was turned into an impeachment committee. That's never happened in American history. And the chairman of that committee, rather than focusing on on China, even during the breakout of this virus, was over in the Senate as the lead manager of the attempt to remove the president of the United States by coup, even though they knew from day one they never would have the votes to remove the president. There was no supermajority. And if he had had his way, and the Democrat Party, Schumer and Pelosi had their way, and the media had their way, God knows that would still be going on. They wanted witnesses. So I don't trust these people to run our economy, do you? We're a huge and diverse country. How do you think we have food and toilet paper and soap and diapers and baby food and on and on and on, fresh vegetables? People are working. Truckers are working. Mail delivery is working. UPS, FedEx, Amazon, on and on and on. Grocery chains. But we're killing our retail markets. We're killing them. We're killing the retail markets, whether it's restaurants and bars, whether it's community, small community banks, whether it's the neighborhood mall, whatever it is, we're killing them. And I'm asking the question, do we really need to kill all of them? Now, the President of the United States can't snap his fingers and say all these businesses are going to open. He doesn't even have the constitutional power to do it. These are state governments making these decisions, and mostly states that are run by Democrats, mostly, that have significant metropolitan areas. So the metropolitan areas, which are crucially important to this country, they're American too, 
but it's the tail wagging the rest of the country, the dog. And so you have Washington, and many in Washington from New York, making decisions, as Ben Dominich pointed out at the Federalist, for the entire country. Now I want to look at this in a macro perspective. I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain this. We have a budget. Our federal budget for this fiscal year is $4.7 trillion. It's over $1 trillion in deficit already. $4.7 trillion. Last week, Congress passed and the President signed a spending bill for $2.2 trillion. Last week in that bill, the Federal Reserve was authorized to provide loans of up to $4.5 trillion thereby effectively nationalizing the private capital market. We've never seen the centralization of economic power like this in our history. And I'm not even sure Congress or the White House understands that's what they did. They're now talking about another $2 trillion, and I guarantee you that's going to get bloated. So we're talking about a total with the federal budget, what took place last week, and what is conservatively predicted to take place in this next bill, $13.4 trillion in less than a year. $13.4 trillion. It's going to add at least $5 trillion to the debt. The fiscal operating debt today is $22 trillion. It'll be $27 trillion. On top of unfunded liabilities... Where a top economics professor and expert in Boston has said is over two hundred trillion. Now what is one trillion? One trillion is a thousand billions. A thousand billions. That's one trillion. But we're talking about thirteen point four trillion. So that's over thirteen thousand billions. How else can I explain this? One trillion. One trillion equals a million millions. A million millions. And we're talking about one year's time. Now, while the government is Doing these sorts of things, the government is telling a significant portion of the country, stay home. That is, these governors are deciding who is and what is essential and who is and what is not. They call this liquidity. I call it printing money. $2.2 trillion is all that the individual and corporate income tax brings into the federal government. That's it. It gets money through other avenues, too. Tariffs, of course. But it doesn't come close to raising the money it's already spending in the federal budget. And under Republican and Democrat Congresses, in the last few years, they have run trillion-dollar deficits. One trillion-dollar deficits. Each year. Each year. Where's this money going to come from, ladies and gentlemen? I think that Congress and the administration thinks 
and we'll get through this in a month, two, three, whatever it is. And then with all this money floating around, all this money poured into the economy, the third quarter will be jacked up big time. We'll see growth like we never did before. It's not going to happen. This is not stimulating anything. There's almost a schizophrenic argument for what they're doing. On the one hand, they're saying this money only goes to companies that continue to employ personnel. So if I'm a restaurateur, first of all, I'm not anymore. Most of them are out of business. All right, if I'm, if I'm running a McDonald's franchise, I'm going to take a loan for the purpose of keeping people employed? Or am I going to take a loan for the purpose of paying my other bills? Am I in business as an employment agency? Or am I in business for business so I can make money and then hire people and keep people? So this is a failed model to begin with. Turning these these uh, small businesses, medium, and even large businesses, <clears throat> basically, if you will, into employment agencies, just washing the money through them. That does not produce products. If people are told to stay home and not gather, that does not produce a damn thing. So how's that a stimulus? It's not a stimulus. Loaning companies money to stay in business because governors are shutting them down. That's not a stimulus. At best, that's status quo, but it's not even status quo. Because you're not really doing anything. I'm deeply concerned about this. Deeply concerned about this. Infrastructure. Infrastructure. What does infrastructure have to do with what's going on today? The virus. You're going to expand airports when the planes aren't flying? You're going to expand and improve roads when people are being told not to drive? You're going to build more public transportation? My God, when people are told, stay away from public transportation. They're like sardine cans. Well, what are they going to spend it on? And why now? Well, to jack up the economy. Well, let me tell you a little secret. The vast majority of people who are unemployed are not going to pour cement. They don't know what rebar is, or they don't know what to do with it. This is a boondoggle for the states and localities and the federal government. And there's nothing new about this. This has happened from time to time in this country. It happened under Franklin Roosevelt. He said, we've got to put America back to work. And so what did they do? They did that, and they had 25% unemployment. The only way to open up the economy is to open up the economy. And if you can't open up all the economy, in addition to the parts that are already open, then try and open up parts of the economy. You are not going to deficit spend your way out of this. And my grave concern, ladies and gentlemen, is when it's all said and done, 
we're going to destroy big aspects of this economy. Socialist regimes, the most aggressive socialist regimes, attempt to spend their way out of, out of their promises. Whether it's Venezuela or Cuba, whether it was Germany after World War I, whatever it is, it never looks good. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Let me add this. The Democrat Party and the Democrat Party media tied this country in knots for years. And they tied this country in knots right up into February. When we needed a Congress that was functioning properly. The House Intelligence Committee chairman ran an impeachment inquiry rather than overseeing intelligence crucial to this nation. And then he moved over to the Senate where he was the top manager for an impeachment coup to try and remove the president, demanding more and more witnesses, which could have dragged us right through February into March. People talk about a slow reaction. There wasn't a slow reaction. There was obstruction by Pelosi, by Schiff, and by Schumer. And we, the American people, must figure out a way to hold these people and their party to account. Because in addition to the Chinese lying to us and covering up, the Democrat Party gave aid and comfort to the enemy when in fact it should have been doing its damn job. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Talk about the Tea Party. We are the Tea Party. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I don't know if these numbers were a hold. I, I just report what I see. I'm not the green eye shade guy uh, at the CDC or at the Labor Department, for that matter. But Goldman Sachs, for what it's worth, predicts unemployment to hit 15% in this coming quarter, and we're going to know very soon. And the gross domestic product to drop 34%. So one-third. You can deficit spend all you want, but you cannot deficit spend your way to prosperity. I'll say it over and over and over again. The government shut down the economy that is, these governors and on so forth, and they need to open up big chunks of the economy again. And then you have governors like DeSantis who've been resisting this groupthink to shut down everything. But he eventually did. Of course, he came under attack for not taking this virus seriously enough. I come under attack for this too by these truly stupid quasi Human beings, if you will. Now, I just did a partial list. Somebody's providing us with food and heat and clean water and electricity, gasoline for our cars. Somebody's driving our trucks, delivering our mail, UPS, FedEx, Grocery stores are open. Somebody's putting that stuff on the shelves. We have drive through fast food. Somebody's handing us that food. You have soap and diapers, toilet paper, prescription drugs, and on and on and on. Pharmacists. That's doctors, nurses, cops, firefighters, ambulance drivers. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, all working. 7-Eleven, and on and on and on. So not everybody is in their home. Not everybody's lost their job. Not every business is shut. And so what I'm suggesting to you is we need a task force, not with Mnuchin and and government ties, but a task force of individuals Good, smart individuals with no ideologues or agenda except that they believe in capitalism in the private sector. To look at the various sectors of our economy and to urge these governors and mayors, where relevant, and I think it's probably relevant in a in large number of ways, to open them. To open them. Why is it that when it comes to our police officers, our ambulance drivers, <clears throat> excuse me, our firefighters, our emergency personnel, hospital workers, we don't say shut all that down because some percentage of these wonderful people will get the coronavirus. We say no. 
They have to work. We need them for the public good and public safety. And you read these terrible reports, 17% of the NYPD has the, and so forth and so on. Nobody would even suggest shutting down the NYPD. Obviously, you can't. But they say we want to flatten the curve. Except when it comes to these people. Because we need them. And I'm not saying we should be frivolous about this at all. But I'm saying we ought to take a good look at it. At these various businesses and so forth. Because I don't think that balance is in place right now. I don't think that's happening. Keep in mind, again, the President of the United States, he's not a governor. He didn't shut these businesses, and he can't open these businesses. But there's no reason they can't look at this and provide guidance, just as they provide guidance to states on the medical issues. Otherwise, we're going to go broke here in a very ugly way. Because the push is all in one end. Washington is going to spend and spend and spend and spend. Infrastructure, are you kidding me? Now you're going to spend $2 trillion on it. Well, it's always been the plan. I don't care if it's always been the plan. You just spent $2.2. And $4.5 trillion on loans. They're not going to create jobs. If you're putting people out of work in New York, in California, in Illinois, and so for Michigan, how are you going to put people to work? I really don't comprehend this. I like to think I'm relatively intelligent. I don't know. When I see them building roads, they seem to congregate, don't they, Mr. Producer? All around the cement mixer. You name it, whatever. You've got some of these fools who hearken back and long for Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't time for Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal. Well, he built a war machine. You know what's funny? We're not building a war machine. How much of this money is actually going to building new hospitals? Not a lot. Or to the healthcare infrastructure. The vast majority of it's not. Is it a stimulus bill? Is it an employment bill? Is it a loan bill? Is it an everything bill? What is it? It's a bill that was put together by committees in Congress. Well, then that's what you get. A bill that's put together by committees in Congress. Two trillion more. It's not enough. And after that, I just heard the Treasury Secretary say, we'll fill whatever gaps we have to fill. You know, one person or even a relative handful of people can't know everything. It's impossible. The country's too big. It's too diverse. You don't know the oil patch from a restaurant. And they're very complex and complicated things to run. And you can't run them from Washington, D.C. I don't care who you are. I don't care what administration you're in. We're trying to get cash payments to the uninsured. We're trying to get cash payments to the unemployed. We're trying to get cash payments to this, that, and the other. We need to open up more of the economy. This can't go on forever. I've been talking about this for how long, Mr. Producer? A month, maybe? A lone voice for the longest time. 
at least weeks. You can't continue to do this. Or you're not going to come out of it. Certainly not very soon. And worse yet, you'll have this massive inflation. And uh, the eroding of the currency and the value of everything you own. 70s, we had massively high inflation. People couldn't sell their homes. People couldn't buy homes. The real estate market was depressed. People don't invest. The only thing they invest in is certificates of deposit and so forth and so on, which does very well for the individual, but contributes almost nothing to the growth of the economy. What happens when you have a weak currency is the cure is extraordinarily painful. You have to tighten the money supply, and you have to tighten the money supply fast. So you have two conflicting things going on at once. Massive inflation because of mass amount of money out there, plus you're tightening the supply. As they used to call it, you're wringing inflation out of the system, which creates enormous economic dislocation. These wild swings on governmental economic policy, always spending, but a question of how much you're spending, make it very unpredictable and very difficult. I'll give you a perfect example. You have landlords today. I'm not talking about even mega landlords. But you know, they have investments too. A landlord, a bed and breakfast even. Under these circumstances, what's going on today? When tenants are being told, you know, you can take a pass for up to four months, who the hell is going to buy a rental property? You have to be out of your mind today to buy a rental property. Because you don't control the future. You don't control the rent. And you're the ultimate mortgage payer. You're still paying a mortgage on the property. Who the hell is going to open a restaurant today? I hate to say that, but, but look. I know a couple of people who own restaurants. I know a couple who are dear friends of ours that own one restaurant. And then we have dear friends who are a couple that own five or six restaurants. But they're not rich. They break their ass every day. And he sent me a desperate email today. He wanted me literally to call the president of the United States and say, please, I beg you, open up the economy or I'm going to lose everything I have. This is why when people say, we're going to give you a loan if you employ people. It doesn't work that way. You don't employ people if nobody's coming in to eat. And you can't stay in business if you're in business to employ people because you're not making a profit. And you have a mortgage and you have a home and you got utility payments and property taxes and all. You still have bills. So it can't function. And when you're telling even small business people, 10, 12, 15 employees, restaurant, we'll give you a loan, but only a loan if you continue to employ those people. What does that stimulate? I don't even understand it. You're turning them into small unemployment operations. So... 
And I'm not attacking the administration or anything of the sort. I absolutely am not. I do not wish to sabotage. I'm trying to provide additional advice, additional information, macro and micro, anecdotal examples. Carry them through in your own mind and you understand what I mean. You look at these absolutely incredible numbers of trillions and trillions and trillions. We talk about them like millions of not. These are trillions. We used to talk about billions this way. Now we're talking about trillions this way. What's the number after a trillion? A zillion? I don't even know. But this is third world stuff. This is what they do in the third world with these socialists. When they find out they're running out of things to redistribute, what do they do? They print more money. They just keep printing money and giving it away to quiet the populace. They print more money. And we're going to have spectacular growth. No, you're not. You may have a big spike, but it'll be momentarily, relatively speaking. I'll be right back. in. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So uh, the Democrats want to set up a select committee to investigate the handling of the coronavirus. These are the people who were distracting the nation at the time. I was thinking about it during the break. That's like Jack the Ripper setting up a committee on failed policing in London. That's the best parallel I can come up with, ladies and gentlemen. What a joke. I told you the other day that the number of suicides in 2017 was over 47,000. And when you have an economic downturn, that number jumps. And it's very, very upsetting, isn't it? Because when people lose their businesses and people lose their jobs and people lose their savings and people lose everything they have, some people just can't handle it. They can't provide for their family anymore. They can't provide for themselves and so forth. This isn't even discussed today. It isn't even discussed. 
And these are things that have to be thought through. And, of course, the left-wing media, they just... The the interesting thing about the left-wing media and their front groups, they want the percentage of people dying from the coronavirus to be a significant number. I'm not saying they want that number of people to die. I'm not saying they want that that number of people to die. But if you try to present other information from other scholars, from Ivy League schools and all over the world, as we have done, they claim that you're a virus denier or you're a Trumpist or you must be some kind of an extreme nut. So you can't even discuss it. You must embrace a figure that in many ways, these figures, these high figures, have already been rejected. But if you look at the criticism of me and some other conservatives, that's at the bottom of it. Mark Levin doesn't think this is serious. Mark Levin doesn't think a lot of people are going to die. Mark never said any of that. I've spent hundreds of hours talking about this behind this microphone and elsewhere. Over 99% of the people who get this virus will not die. That's the science. There's other science, there's other data, the data has changed, but that's where we are. But I do ask the question, with the resources so heavily focused on this virus, and I understand it, I'd like to know if people with other deadly ailments and sicknesses, if they're getting the kind of care that they have in the past or that they deserve. Heart disease patients, 650,000 died in 2017. Cancer patients, 600,000. Chronic lower respiratory disease, 160,000. Stroke, 146,000. Alzheimer's, 121,000. I'm just asking, but you're not allowed to ask. Because that means you're denying that this virus is a bad thing. And of course, they ignore what Dr. Fauci himself said on January 26th. They ignore what they and their media friends said late January, early February, even into mid-February. They ignore what their favorite politicians said. Just go about your business. Don't really worry about anything. But the truth is they were following the same quote-unquote science as the rest of us are following. And so there is, not in every respect, but in some respects, conflicts on the science, on the numbers, on the models. But you better not look at them. You better not discuss them. The numbers have to be high or you're a denier. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, again, anecdotal, the people I know who are going to lose their businesses None of this so-called stimulus is going to ultimately help them. You see, let's talk about a restaurant. 
You run a restaurant. Why do you hire people, Mr. Producer? To serve the clients, right? To serve the customers. To make the food, to make the drinks, to serve the customers, to clean the restaurant, wash the dishes, to do your books. I don't know. Whatever. So let's just take an example. Your restaurant in California or New York, wherever it is. And the government orders you to shut down. So what the federal government has said, so generously is, we'll give you a loan. You can file for a loan. But you have to make sure you do not fire any of those people. So, why exactly is that restaurant in business again? The entire nature has changed of, what, of what's being done. The person who owns the restaurant, he or she, they don't benefit from anything. And yet they're told, here's a loan. This will save you. While the governor is saying, you're not to f- serve a scrap of bacon. Nothing. Now, you may decide that's fine with you because you don't run a restaurant. Plus, you have bills to pay. Plus, you have a life to live, to, live too. You, there are things you want to do or other things you can do. You know, there's also this understanding, economic principle, of opportunity costs. Why would you continue to work 20 hours a day at a restaurant that doesn't serve anything to anybody, but keeps people employed. I guess they're not allowed to show up at the restaurant because you'd have a gathering of more than 10. I guess they have to stay home, Mr. Producer. Why, why would you do that? Again, you have interests, you have a desire, you have a life. I'm talking about tiny businessmen, small businessmen and women. That's why I say this isn't going to stimulate a damn thing. Not, not across the board in any significant way. You might see a spike, but you're not going to see much else. You're just not going to see much else. This is basic economics. It's not something that I've invented. It's not something that I... It's not an ideological or political thing with me. It is what it is. The laws of economics, how many times have I said it? are like the laws of physics. They are what they are, regardless of people want to do to them. They are what they are. So you do not massively spend your way into prosperity. Or Venezuela would be the most, the wealthiest place on the face of the earth. The wealthiest place on the face of the earth. There would never have been a a republic after the Weimar Republic would have been the wealthiest place on the face of the earth rather than those people pushing uh, those wheelbarrows full of uh, useless money. You don't think a great country can fall? It can. And when you lose your economic system, and when you lose the rule of law, you lose the civil society. And then it becomes effectively, a human jungle. 
I've been talking about civil liberties. Again, I'm not saying that these governors and mayors and the federal government, there aren't things they need to do. What I am saying is it's never discussed. If I hadn't brought up civil liberties several weeks ago, nobody would be talking about civil liberty. Where the hell's the ACLU? Where's anybody? We should at least say, look, we're weighing these things and we need you to do this temporarily. We don't even hear that temporarily anything. Maryland, the state's closed down until the governor decides to open it. Virginia, he says the state's closed down to June 10th. Where did he get June 10th from? I have no idea. You got governors shutting down gun shops. Why? More than 10 people congregating in gun shops? Doesn't have to be. A gun shop owner can say three people at a time. Come in. There's many ways to They shut them down. Why? Because they can, apparently. You have a reporter yesterday at the presidential press conference. Mr. President, she says, some of these governors that, that aren't telling people to stay at home, can't you just make that decision? Take the power from the governor, she said, and make the decision yourself? Listen to this. Can you imagine that power in the wrong hands? There are politicians... I no doubt believe Schumer, Pelosi, and their ilk who would take that power and run with it. Because that's what the left does. This president's far more careful. He's even said, look, I'm not going to start nationalizing businesses and doing this sort of thing. The governor of New York, who failed the people of New York, when he failed to purchase more ventilators in 2015, but he wanted solar panels, his priorities were all screwed up. That governor and the two prior governors, even Republican, they didn't want to spend money on hospital beds. They had other priorities, you know. Well, now that has bitten the people in New York very, very hard. And so what does he do at every press conference? We need barely literate. We need more ventilators. We need more hospital beds. We have an apex coming. The country has changed in a way that it can never be normal again. And we are doing everything humanly possible. Things we've never done before. Well, let's talk about before, Governor. Nobody can be prepared. I've said it over and over again. Nobody can be prepared in full for a pandemic. But you can be better prepared. New York shouldn't be losing hospital beds over the course of 20 years. And New York should have had more ventilators. And if the governor didn't want to make those decisions, then he should have told the in New York, I can't make these decisions and done one of two things. I'm going to leave these decisions to the federal government. I'm going to call the president. Would have been Obama. I'm going to call Obama and tell him, you're in charge of this stuff. I, I can't handle it. I don't want to handle it. Or call the local authorities, governments, and say, look, I'm the, I'm the governor. I'm giving you the authority. You guys do it. Or better yet, a third one is, you know what, hospitals, you decide what you need and you go ahead and buy them. What do you want from me? Of course, he didn't do that. Do you know hospitals are turned down all the time across this country when they want to expand or add hospital beds? Did you know this? 
Hospitals are denied all the time when they want to add MRI machines or CTs or even ventilators and other equipment. They're turned down. They have to get a a certificate of need in 35 states in the District of Columbia. Why? Because these state governments and this in city, in the case of D.C., they want to prop up, they want to reduce supply that props up demand and keeps prices higher because they're afraid, well, maybe hospitals will shut down, you know, maybe, maybe they'll leave. That's called the private sector. If there's too many hospitals, there's too many hospitals. If there's too many beds, there's too many beds. But when you have this dictate coming from Albany or wherever it is, there's no way they know how many beds they really need or how many ventilators they need. But they have to be better prepared for a pandemic. Being prepared for a pandemic, you know what that means, Mr. Producer? That means having more beds than you need at that particular moment, having more ventilators than you need at that particular moment. The problem is you don't get brownie points in politics for that. In other words, if you're a hack and not a statesman and a leader, you go with the solar panels. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Well, I thought I'd bring in a, uh, a dear friend, a man I have a lot of faith in, Jim DeMint, former senator from South Carolina, uh, the head of the Conservative Partnership Institute, wrote a brilliant piece in The Hill today. How are you, sir? Mark, I'm doing great. It's g- good to hear from you. Well, Jim DeMint, I want you to tell the American people what you think about what's going on and whether you have any concerns about what people are doing and talking about when it comes to the economy. Well, Mark, let me put this in perspective, if I could, because since the beginning of our country, we have sacrificed millions of our best and brightest young people to protect our freedoms and our way of life. Over the last couple of months, however, uh, we have given many of those freedoms away. We now have mostly a government-directed economy. A lot of the salaries are being paid by the government. We're being told we, we can't meet with people or we can't go to church. We just need to step back from this and realize what's going on in the the middle of this. I'm not underestimating the danger of a virus. 
but we cannot uh, support our health care system and support our way of life if we allow our economy to crash. And, Mark, I don't think we can wait another month to begin the process of getting people back to work. We've got probably 45 states with pretty low infection rates, and with the right safety protocols, we could put most of America back to work. If we don't, I'm afraid in a few months, oh, we're going to be in a Great Depression. Uh, and, and we can't ask the doctors and scientists to balance the risk. And the media doesn't allow for distinctions here. If, if Trump uh, starts talking about putting people back to work, they'll say blood's on his hands because they would love for the economy to be in a depression in November. So he's in a trap. What we have to do as citizens and as, as folks who are leaders, particularly in the conservative movement, is say it's time to have a good balance between the economy and health care, and let's start to put people back to work. Brilliantly stated, Jim DeMint. I'm not hearing a lot of conservatives and conservative groups speak out right now. They seem kind of passive, don't they? Well, you're, you're accused of, uh, again, you, you can see... Uh, you can see what I'm accused of. Wait until you're yeah. done. Wait until you'll see what you're accused of. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I know, but people have got to step out there and start telling the truth. I'm calling all over the country of folks who support the conservative partnership, almost to a person. Uh, they realize, and most of them are in the high-risk groups. Uh, it, it said, you know, we're not willing to sacrifice uh, our whole country and, and the future for our children and grandchildren in, in order to save me. Uh, and, and I'm in a high-risk uh, thing myself, but uh, it, it's just not worth it after all the sacrifice over all the years is to do what we're doing. And, and we've never done this, Mark. We've never intentionally shut down our economy. And, and uh, let me give you one example. I've, I've got a friend who's got over 200 fast food places. He's been trying to apply for the business continuation uh, that was in the last stimulus bill. But in order to get it, you have to have at least 75% of the employees you did when this happened. He can't get his people to come back to work because they're getting paid more on unemployment for the next four months than they would if they came to work. And, and so he can't get the business continuation insurance. And in, in four months, those jobs won't be there, and the Democrats will be crying to extend unemployment as they always do before. I mean, we're digging ourselves in a hole, and it doesn't make sense. And I, I know the infection rate could could increase, but Mark, right now we've lost fewer people to this than we have to the flu this year. Oh man, you're going to be hammered now. I've raised these points too. Go right ahead. Well, no, I mean, uh, a lot of folks. I mean, they. I guess millions could die, but when in a couple of months, when people are in food lines, and and I. You know, we need to look at worst-case scenario on, on the economy side. Mm -hmm. And and I know that in, in a month, millions of small businesses are going to be out of business. And it they may never come back. I, I agree. I, this, uh, Jim, Jim DeMint. Dr. Burks, who I don't know, seems like a nice enough lady. She says, quote, today, I can tell by the curve as it is today that not every American is following the guidelines. Yeah. I don't know about you, Jim DeMint. Have you looked at Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington lately? Yeah, well, it's 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 dead, and uh, you see a lot of dead streets. And uh, we 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 have we have the prediction is fifteen percent unemployment with a thirty four percent drop in our GDP. What is it exactly that she wants? I don't know, but again, we can't ask doctors. Remember, doctors and scientists won't let a dying person try a promising drug, but because it might hurt them. 
I mean, this is the way they have to think, and doctors have been trained to, to cover themselves because of medical liability. And it's one of the things the president needs to do immediately is to absolve doctors and hospitals from any good faith attempt to treat corona. And the same with uh, pharmaceutical companies who make these drugs available. And, and businesses as well, Mark, we, we've got to make sure that they're not liable if they bring people back to work because everybody's in the risk management business, particularly doctors. So if we're waiting for doctors to say we can go back to work, it isn't going to happen because you're always at risk when you leave your house. And so we've got, we do have a, a serious disease. There's no question about it. I'm not a doctor, but I was a small businessman for a long time, and I know that I couldn't have gone one month without revenue having to keep employees after 15 years of building a business, I'd have had to close it down, and you can't start it back up immediately. So I, it, all I'm saying, Mark, is we need to balance the risk uh, on the healthcare side and the economic side, and the media won't let us have any distinctions here. So we just need some bold leaders, and Trump has been really patient listening to doctors, but it's time he advises governors to make good decisions, send people back to work in as safe as way as possible let's continue to build medical capacity and but i just know i've been in business a long time we're not going to have the country we want in a couple of months if we do what the left wants us to do and that's to stay shut down jim demand let me ask you a couple more questions here if the economy collapses what happens to doctors nurses medicines and hospitals well, all of that is dependent on the private economy, the supply chains, the pay. I mean, the government can't print enough money to support an idle America. And we'll probably print $10 trillion in new money this year. If you look at all the things the Federal Reserve is doing, the Congress is doing, the, the deficit, the loss of tax revenue. And, I mean, we're going to have third-world-type monetary policy if we keep doing this. We can't. You know, it's amazing. That. I've been saying this, too. You see? Because you're a principal person, you know your history, you understand economics, you come out of a small business, I come out of a small business background with my parents. And people don't understand. You weren't in business to take loans to keep people employed, you'll go under. And my parents couldn't do that either. It just, it's not possible. It's not what you do. No, you, when, when it looks like you're going out of business, the last thing you want to do is borrow money to keep paying people who aren't working. I mean, this whole thing is, is not going to work. The government cannot manage our economy. But Jim DeMint, I'd like to hold you over after the bottom of the hour. Please don't go away. And we'll be back. You know why I call him the great Jim DeMint in a moment with Jim DeMint, who runs the Conservative Partnership Institute. We'll be right back. And the Republicans don't like him, but America does. You can call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. You know, folks, Blaze TV, which airs Levin TV, is a magnificent format and platform. We don't buckle under pressure. We look at these crises and we say now's the time to stand up. We want to help our fellow citizens. Very, very much. But you don't kill the golden goose that lays the golden eggs and then wake up one day and your country's transformed. One thing is certain, misinformation is spreading. 
thanks to the so-called mainstream media and some elected officials. It's more important than ever that you get the truth, because there's a lot of noise out there and a lot of misinformation, as I said. And I want you to check us out at Levin TV on the Blaze TV network. A lot of networks are scaling back. We are not. And we're going to keep delivering for you. And who knows how long this crisis will last. And there's also an election coming up. There's a tremendous amount at stake. And I'll be right here beside you during these crazy times during our nation's history. I'd like you to go call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV, or go to levintv.com, levintv.com. Go there right now. Use the code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, and we'll knock off $30 off your annual subscription. That's 30%. 30%. $99 to $69. You'll get all Blaze TV, the whole network, for $69 a year, plus my show. That's less than 6 bucks a month. If you already have it, suggest it to your neighbor or family member and so forth. Now more than ever. You'll immediately be able to watch Levin TV, Louder with Crowder, Glenn TV, my buddy Beck, The Rubin Report, my buddy Wilkow, much, much more. No matter what happens in the world, we will be here for you. We will be here for you. Give us a call, 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV, or levintv.com. I hope that's right. That's right. Or you can go to blazetv.com. We have a lot of ways for you to get to us. Our Jim DeMitt, who runs the Conservative Partnership Institute. So we're at a fork in the road. We've kind of already gone down the wrong fork here, but they're talking about another $2 trillion infrastructure program. When I'm not seeing a lot of cars on the street, when I'm not seeing a lot of airplanes in the air, there's no time for this right now, is there, sir? Uh, Mark, if, if we're really in crisis and we're sending people home, the only thing that Congress should focus on is, is how to get out of this. And I don't want to see another bill go through Congress right now because we saw the last one had so much of, of the liberal leftist baggage on it. Uh, I'm hoping that through the, the national emergency declaration that the, the president has, has, has given, that some of this can be done administratively. But mostly what we need to do is get America back to work because we cannot print enough money. And that's what they're talking about, whether it's infrastructure or uh, the, this, the virus relief, is we already had a trillion-dollar deficit when we started the year. And like I said before, I think it's going to be closer to $10 trillion and, and new monetary uh, printing uh, this year. Um, and so I, I don't see any solution except let's start the process, get people back to work, and do everything we can to expand the medical capacity. But the last thing we need now is an infrastructure project that goes through Congress that collects all what we call Christmas tree um, ornaments from the left. You know, you know, Jim DeMint, I said this earlier in the program. We're getting food and heat and clean water and electricity, gasoline for our cars. We have truckers. We have a mail service, UPS, FedEx, grocery stores working. Fast food drive throughs We get soap and diapers, toilet paper, prescription drugs, you name it. We have doctors, nurses, cops, firefighters working in the middle of hot zones. We have Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, 7-Eleven. Go on and on and on. Your point, my point is people are and can work. And somebody needs to sit down and take a look at this rather than using a broad brush. And now we have Dr. Burke saying we're not doing enough. I don't know what else we can do. The economy's dying. Well, well, Mark, I, I've tried to look at the medical statistics, and again, I'm not claiming to be a scientist, 
But it looks like that anyone of working age who doesn't have an already pre-existing condition is at very little risk of this thing. Now, some of us who are older, who have diabetes or whatever, we might, we might have to stay at home. But there is no reason that young people, apparently hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people have gotten it, don't even know they had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, this is crazy to destroy our country. I'm not talking about a shutdown here. I think we're destroying our country, our way of life, for a virus that's not nearly as dangerous as Nazi Germany or other enemies that we've had in the past. And it, I just hate to see us give it all up because we're afraid of something here that we can't even see. I've said that China now has done more damage to America than the Soviet Union ever could. Do you agree with that? I do. I hope they're not smart enough to have done this on purpose. Uh, But they could not have come up with Just by their cover-ups and all the rest of it. Go ahead. Yeah, well, no, it's... They couldn't have come up with a better strategy to to just humble a a capitalist system uh, with a democratic system of government. And and I'd like to make a distinction there because we're acting like a democratic system rather than a constitutional republic here because of all these edicts and orders that are coming out. Uh, Certainly, we got to have to give advice and things like that. But uh, we we are constitutional government. A lot of mayors and governors are way outside of of their authority right now of shutting things down. Isn't it amazing, Jim DeMint, how little the media give a damn about civil liberties? Isn't it amazing? Well, they have an agenda and civil liberties are, are not part of it. I mean, this is going to script for the liberal media, for the Democrats right now. It could not be more perfect for them. And, and it, it's, it's hard for me not to be a little conspiratorial here, but I don't think they're smart enough to conspire to do this, but they're smart enough to take advantage of a crisis, and that's what they're, they're doing right now. Tom Coburn was a very, very close friend of yours and mine, a wonderful, wonderful man. And we've talked about him on this program. We had my friend Mark Meckler on Convention of States. You worked very, very close with Tom Coburn. I want you to tell the American people about Tom Coburn, and I want you to tell them what you think he'd be saying today. Uh, I, I hope he didn't hear about the stimulus that went through before he died. But, but Tom, when I came to Congress, he'd been there a few years. He came with the 94 group of Republican Revolution. I came in 98. But I saw someone who, who gave me an example that you could fight against a system and, and you could survive. And I don't know what I would have done without Coburn showing that you could stand up against Republican leadership or Democrat leadership. But this is a, a citizen statesman from the word go, term limited himself. He was a doctor. Uh, he, he went home after six years, like he said, and then came back to the Senate. Um, just a, a great example for, for all of us. And, um, you know, he was just tough enough for the system, <laughs> um, but he spoke the truth. And we're going to miss him, but we, we need about uh, 100 more of those in the Senate. Uh, we, could, we could save this country in a hurry if we had more people like Tom Coburn. You used to uh, head something, I think it was called the Senate Conservative Fund, correct? Yeah, I started that to help elect um, more conservatives. To and, the and, and who did you help elect? Well, uh, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Pat Toomey. Marco Rubio. Uh, Marco Rubio, um, you, you Ron Johnson. Uh, Rand Paul. 
Rand Paul. I mean, it was a long list that we brought in in 2010 and, and 12. That's how we got rid of the earmarks. We brought in a new crew that replaced the folks who kept, uh, you know, fighting for that extra spending. And, you know, I, I'm not directly involved with it anymore, but uh, the Senate Conservatives Fund, House Freedom Fund, I mean, those are the groups, you know, along with like Club for Growth, who are really out there trying to elect people. And the reason we started Conservative Partnership, Mark, is I realized it doesn't matter if you elect good people. If you don't take care of them when they get there, they're all going to join the swamp, or at least mm-hmm. most of them will. So that's what we're trying to do now. You know, Jim, uh, for most of my career behind this microphone, almost 20 years, I've said I was born in the wrong time of history. I would have loved to have been one of the framers that gave birth to this magnificent system that we have here. Then I had a caller call me last month. No, 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 Mark, you were born in the right time. And as I look at what's going on today, Jim DeMint, I think all patriots better get the hell together and start speaking out right now. Or you're right. This economy is going to take a severe dive, and we're not going to know what's left. Yeah, well, all, everything we care about rides on the back of the, the economy, but also the spiritual side of our country. Uh, all of those are being threatened right now. Uh, but uh, if I can just add a little commercial to you talked about Levin TV and Blaze, I think the future of the truth is going to depend on subscription-based media like yours that doesn't have to depend on corporate advertisers. And so I, if I can put a plug in for folks to, to, to join up, that's the only way to keep people from being intimidated by big corporations who own a lot of the media, and they're a big part of the problem now. So uh, conservatives uh, at the grassroots level all over the country need to come together and support some media that tells the truth. And so I've got to vouch for you and Blaze TV and um, uh, Conservative Review and the folks out there who are doing this right. Well, I appreciate it, and they are, they are a wonderful group of young people. They really, really are who really believe in this country and, quite frankly, are very upset and concerned about what's taking place. Jim DeMint, head of the Conservative Partnership Institute. If people want to contact that group, where do they go? Conservativepartnership.org. We'd love to have folks on our email list so we can keep them up to date. All right. God bless you, sir, and thank you. Jim DeMint. Boy, he came out like I've never heard him before. I've never heard Jim DeMint fired up like that in my life. Never. Never. He's very, very worried, as am I. I see Republicans panicking. I see really two people driving the narrative at these press conferences. I see a president who is doing everything humanly possible to do the right thing because he cares and loves his country, cares about his fellow citizens. And I do think it is our place as citizens to give our own advice to these Republicans and to Washington and everybody else. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, as I sit here talking to the great Jim DeMint, have you been to a grocery store lately, Mr. Producer? 
How about you, Mr. Call Screener? Have you been to a grocery store lately? The people there have gloves, right? Most, most of them have masks. And at the cashier area, I noticed the grocery store chain that I go to, and it's a huge chain, they have a glass or plexiglass barrier. Yours too, right? Uh, you're in New Jersey, and I'm in Virginia. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, people adapt. Businesses adapt. That's why we're so brilliant at what we do. We're creative. A grocery store is a complex business, and they are busier than ever trying to keep their shelves filled. The pharmacy that I go to is in the grocery store. Same thing. And they are working overtime to fill the various prescriptions that they're receiving. And there's way more than 10 people at a time. In fact, I'm really not even talking about a grocery store. I'm talking about a supermarket. And I look at that. I still go to the post office. I love the people that I know at the post office. They always say, hi, Mark, how are you doing? They have a mask, they have gloves, and they have these plastic or glass, I think they're plastic barriers. And the postman's delivering the mail. They're adapting. And they're moving millions and millions of packages, but God knows what's on them, and seeing millions and millions of people every day. Same with every grocery store in America. Why aren't they shut down? Well, they're essential. Well, aren't they at risk too? Well, of course they're at risk too. But those businesses adapt. Restaurants can adapt. Restaurants can say, okay, we're going to stay open, but we're not going to have big crowds in here. We're not going to have music. You can't dilly-dally. They'll adapt. They can adapt too. And furthermore, if governors want to exercise their authority, they exercise their authority to the extent they have it on the targeted populations that are the most likely to face possible mortality situations. That is, they have morbidity issues. There are ways to manage this. There are ways to manage this. Otherwise, why are all these other people? They're called essential? Why? Because we want the country to function. But aren't they subject to the same virus? Yes. But apparently too bad. Do you understand my point? Others can adapt too. Please. I hope the authorities, quote unquote, are listening to me. I know the media are because they're going to attack me. I don't give an S about them. They give aid and comfort to the Chinese government. I don't give a damn about them. And they don't know how the economy works. They sit on their fat asses. They eat their tuna fish sandwiches. They don't know where anything comes from. And then they start telling everybody what to think and do gotcha stuff. They've lost whatever reputation, positive reputation they ever had. But there's no reason. There's no reason. More of our fellow Americans can't be viewed as essential. More of them can take precautions. Don't destroy their businesses and their jobs. I understand in some instances, I really do. Sporting events get very, very complicated. Concert events, very, very complicated. But a restaurateur can figure this stuff out. They really can, as an example. Grocery stores have figured it out. Trucking companies have 
figured out to some extent how to keep their truckers as safe as they can. Many of them are independents. They've never been so busy. Amazon's hiring 100, 150,000 people. Are they essential? Well, somebody's decided they are. But they still can face the virus too, so you do whatever you can to protect them, as you do with people who go into the hospitals. Our police officers are right in the middle of this stuff. The NYPD as an example. Nobody even thinks, well, well, they're not essential. Of course they are. But more and more of the population needs to be viewed this way, in my view. It's a serious virus. I got it. We all understand it. What I'm talking about now is how we react to it, uh, even beyond the medical. You know, with all the uncertainty in the world, feeling safe at home has never been more important. It's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe Home Security. They are longtime friends of the Mark Levin Show, and for good reason. You just order online, set it up yourself in under an hour. Today is the perfect day to do it. And your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch for break-ins, fire, and more. All for just 50 cents a day. And we're not the only fans of Simply Safe. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe best overall home security of 2020. Right now, when you head to Simply Safe, mark, simplysafemark.com. You, my listeners, will get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. That's simplysafemark.com to make sure they know uh, that our show sent you. From Simply Safe and all of us here, wishing you safety and good health. I will be on Hannity tonight at 9.20 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.20 p.m. Pacific. I will be on Hannity tonight, 9.20 p.m. Eastern Time. I don't believe I've been on there for about a month, give or take. See, I've simply safe, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what else surrounds my house, Mr. Producer? The Second Amendment. So with Simply Safe and the Second Amendment, I feel I'm pretty safe here in the Levin Bunker. I'll see you in a few minutes. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Is there any company in America that's considered patriotic by our government? So many to be under attack. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You've got companies making products they've never made before. And they're under attack. It's just incredible. Jim DeMint's right. We've already lost part of our country. There's a couple of great pieces out there I want to bring to your attention. Over at uh, The Federalist, which is a great site. David Marcus, who's a great writer. It's entitled, The Media's Hatred of Trump is Endangering Lives. 
From the beginning of the Wuhan virus outbreak, many in the media have been playing a dangerous game in which their objective has been to make President Trump look as bad as possible. What else is new? If something bad is is happening, it's Trump's fault. Remember when Trump mentioning the promise of hydrochloride? Uh, Let's see. Uh, As a uh, potential treatment was treated as him selling snake oil to the American people. Now the New York Times reports it helped victims in a study. Remember when a man died because he and his wife ate fish tank cleaner because Trump told them to? Now it turns out she's a big donor to the Democrats. When the president and vice president began holding daily briefings to inform the American people of what was going on, the media spent most of its energy focused on minor rhetorical differences in how Trump and Drs. Anthony Fauci and Deborah Birx describe what was going on instead of the vital information the briefings provided. When the American people saw through the pundits like a poorly made piece of two-way glass, the president's approval rating spiked. So what was the reaction of the heroes in much of the news media? To make fabulous and fabricated claims that Trump's briefings were too dangerous to be shown uh, lie because the president of the United States cannot be trusted. Oh, but you know who can be trusted? The communist Chinese government. We were regaled with the stories about how China gave the world valuable time through its efforts to contain the virus. Later, we were told that our own cases had surpassed that of China. But then we learned yesterday from Dr. Birks, uh, Bricks, rather, and today from U.S. intelligence that China's been lying like a cheap toupee. Every time the Chinese said anything, the media treated it with the credulity of a not-very-bright cocker spaniel chasing a tennis ball that somebody pretended to throw. And why? Because the better the communists looked, the worse Trump did. Now these same pundits, who weren't saying boo in January and February, are revising history to pretend that they did. A big reason for this is that many in the news media now view themselves as victimized heroes, protecting America from its elected president. Sure, healthcare workers and police officers and firefighters are doing a pretty good job, and they're doing very good work. But the media is sure to remind us of the important role they play standing up like David to Trump's Goliath. For many, it's become their entire career. Let me put this bluntly, he writes. The tack that the Trump-loathing scribes and bobbleheads have taken towards the president is dangerous and will cost American lives. When they urge us not to believe him, and by extension the White House, they're urging people to doubt the very information meant to protect them. When they decide not to air the White House briefings, They are hiding important information from Americans in peril. The job of the news media is not to be the ally of the president, but it is almost most certainly not to be his sworn enemy, casting irresponsible and unfounded doubt on the government of the United States. While cheering China like a crazed crowd at a ping-pong tournament is unbelievable malpractice. It leaves people confused and misinformed in the midst of a deadly pandemic. The pundits are quick to point out that unlike in China and other communist regimes, they're free to report and ask whatever tough questions they want. That's absolutely true and part of what makes ours the greatest country in the world. But it also comes with responsibility. In a free society, their duty to the people is to tell the truth, even when it doesn't fit the narrative they have created to explain everything. Recent polls show trust in the media entirely underwater. And still they can't see the extent to which they have abused and lost the trust of the American people. 
The only good news is that in their constant hapless game of whack-a-mole, their hammer consistently falls on an empty hole, only for Trump's head to pop up for another one. I would say we should hope for better, but they've shown us who they are, and there's no reason to believe they are capable of change. David Marcus. Very, very well said. And it kind of meshes with a piece that was written the same day by David Harsani, brilliant guy, at National Review. Armchair quarterbacks try to rewrite history on coronavirus. Says this morning, which was April 1st at the writing of this piece, MSNBC's Joe Scarborough claimed that unlike the Trump administration, quote, everybody saw this coming in early January. Now, if Scarborough knew that a deadly once-in-a-century pandemic was about to descend on the nation in early January, I assume he considers himself part of everyone. Why on God's earth didn't he warn his susceptible viewers that they should begin social distancing? Why didn't his producers book a single expert who could beseech his viewers to start wearing masks to shutter their non-essential businesses and avoid church and sporting events? Why didn't he mention coronavirus at all? In fact, even in late January, nearly a full month after everyone supposedly knew, Scarborough's show was dominated by the Donald Trump impeachment trial. As far as I can tell, he says, in the entire month of January, Morning Joe didn't reference the coronavirus once to his 2.6 million followers on Twitter. Imagine the thousands of lives Scarborough could have saved if he'd only shared his insight. Does, quote-unquote, everyone include the World Health Organization, which claimed in a January 14th tweet that the preliminary investigations in the Chinese authorities found, quote, no clear evidence of human-to-human transmissions of the novel coronavirus, unquote. By the way, follow the science. Just don't follow the World Health Organization. Does everyone include the Chinese government, whose propaganda Scarborough shares as reliable data, because it was China's downplaying and lying about the coronavirus that ensured it spread around the world. The blood is on their hands, not on the hands of your least favorite American politicians. In early March, when reporters were fixated on a vacuous debate over the political correctness of affixing China to the virus's name, researchers at the University of Southampton released a study indicating that 95% of virus cases would have been prevented around the world if the communist regime had acted three weeks earlier. If China had intervened just one week earlier, there would have been a 66% mitigation, while two weeks would have led to 86% fewer cases. Scarborough, like most of us, was busy talking about the impeachment trial in early January, and that's exactly the topic we should have been focusing on. We had no business expecting our elected officials or our media outlets to obsess over every outbreak in China. No doubt I'm older than many, he says, but I can recall warnings about perhaps a dozen potentially dangerous epidemic breakouts around the world. None of them ever materialized in a legitimately scary way for us. It's human nature to assume similar outcomes. And if China had acted like a first world nation, coronavirus would have been contained. Even if Scarborough had warned us, what would the public have done differently in early January before a single confirmed case in the United States. When Trump did something, quote-unquote, in late January and restricted travel to China, I don't recall a single mainstream pundit applauding him 
for taking the virus seriously. In fact, the opposite happened. And even if we had listened to the scientists, the United States would not, uh, would not have been able to avert the coronavirus. And I'll pick up from there. If we had listened to America's most respected public health official and doctor, Dr. Fauci, on January 26th, we wouldn't have done anything. Because he said he believed it would be a bad flu. Akin to a bad flu. I don't blame him. He didn't have enough data. But then again, why are they attacking the president? All he's done is listen to the scientists. Every word. And when I interviewed Dr. Fauci on Life, Liberty, and Levin, that's what he told me. That the president listens to the science. Well, sometimes the science has been very, very badly wrong. So why do they attack the president? Why? Because they're putrid. That's why. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't sit silently. I cannot sit silently or just nod my head up and down when I see what's taking place in this country now. And whenever I try to provide perspective, even information on the CDC's website, perspective, even from Scientists and professors and medical experts from Yale and Stanford and other highly regarded places, Chicago, University of Chicago, so forth. I know I'm going to come under withering attack because the left in this country, whether it's in the media or otherwise, they do not want us to have a discussion. And what Jim DeMint says is true. As a result of this virus, and in the last few months, your country has changed. Especially at the state level. A lot of these governors, in my view, are now running wild, running scared, panicked to cover their own asses because they didn't order enough ventilators and enough beds. They were not prepared, not just for a pandemic, for any health crisis. They spent enormous sums of your tax dollars on their political pet projects to improve their political status with their base. 
Now, we'd all be paying a price as a result of the pandemic, but some people are paying a bigger price as a result of it. You don't cut uh, shut down an entire country. This virus, in any significant way, so far, is not in about three-fourths of the country. Can it reach the other three-fourths? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it will. But why are we acting like it will, for sure? And why are we acting like there's nothing else we can do about it other than to destroy our economy and therefore destroy our ability to produce these products where these governors say they need them? You destroy the economy, you destroy GM. No ventilators. You destroy 3M. No masks. You destroy the pharmaceutical companies. No treatments, no vaccines. You destroy the economy. You have to slash the police force, the EMTs, the military. I am deeply frustrated and troubled now by what I'm hearing. I already was, but now. And you even hear Cuomo say this. Do you choose a life or do you choose a dollar bill? No, that's not right. Do you choose a life or do you choose a dollar bill? Everybody chooses a life over a dollar bill. You idiot. You're the one with the dollar bills looking for equipment to buy that you didn't spend the money on properly five years ago. Tell me, how humane is it to be unemployed? Or humane is it to see people lose their life savings in their businesses? Or landlords to go broke? Or tenants to be unable to pay their rent? And on and on and on and on. Tell me, how humane is that? You haven't even seen anything yet. There's still food in our, on our food shelves. What happens when that stops? I've talked to you about this electromagnetic pulse issue. I've had Peter Pry on my Fox show. I've had him on Levin TV. I've had him on the radio. This poor guy is Paul Revere. Nobody's listening to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a pandemic of pandemics where it doesn't take much for the Chinese government, the Iranian government, the North Korean government, for God's sakes, the Russian government, or Mother Nature, the sun itself, to destroy our electrical grid. It's out there. It's naked. It costs a few billion dollars to protect it. All the trillions and trillions they're spending has a single person stood up and said, how about a few billion for the electrical grid? Nobody. Going to have an infrastructure. But don't worry, you have your roads and your tunnels and your airports. It'll be magnificent. Nothing like you've ever seen before. If the electrical grid goes down, there's no backup. I'm not talking about a blow-up of a box here. or the, I'm talking about the grid. There will be no food. There will be no gasoline. There will be no clean water. 
There will be no electricity. Nothing will work. Nothing. Everything in your house will be pulverized. The computers, you won't be able to get to the internet. There won't be any internet. Mark, what are you, a nut job? And this is the problem. The same people today who say, you're not taking this virus seriously enough. I'm taking the whole damn thing seriously. I've got no agenda. None. And if the electrical grid goes down, the country's done. It's done. There aren't enough generators from one end of the country to the other to bring it back. Talk about ventilators? A relative handful of money compared to what they're spending, a few billion dollars protects it. What the hell is wrong with our government? Might this, might this get their attention? No. It won't. No, no. They have their agenda. They want to put workers in the boardroom and their color and religion is crucial to the Democrat Party. They want same-day voting registration so they can turn the whole country into California. This is their agenda. They are power-hungry, insane people. And they're having an enormous impact on what's going on right now, and they're dragging this country into a place we don't want it to go. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. others but there's only one mark levin and you can call him at 877-381-3811 well this is uh, sobering traffic to u.s retail stores has almost entirely vanished due to covid19 in a research note sent to clients today investment firm cowan and company estimated total foot traffic in U.S. retailers was down 97.6% for the week through March 27 compared to the same time last year. That's why the country's going under. Retail. Restaurants, clothing stores, whatever you see in these brick-and-mortar stores. They're virtually all closed. Governors have 
dictated that they're not essential. They're not essential jobs, they're not essential businesses, and so they go broke. Let me ask you this question. Has anybody asked any of these small businesses if they can adjust to this virus the way the post office has and the way supermarkets have and FedEx and UPS and the fast food drive throughs and on and on and on? Has anybody asked them if they can adjust to this business, what they might do in their small businesses, limited the number of people who are in there, require them to have masks or hand them masks or hand them gloves or whatever? No, they haven't. They haven't asked them a damn thing. Instead, we're using the Defense Production Act. You shall do this and you shall do that. How about asking the millions of small businessmen and women in this country and the tens of millions of employees they have, how would you adjust to this virus? I mean, I can think right away. If I own a business, it's, let's say it's a, a strip mall store, I would limit the number of people who come in. I'd require them to wear masks if you know, I'm concerned about the other people and gloves, or maybe I would have them available to them. I'd make them uh, use hand, uh, hand sanitizer if not. I'd have the handles on the doors constantly wiped with soap and water, appropriately so, and same with the tabletops and so forth. This is what they're doing in grocery stores and supermarkets. We haven't even asked these little businesses or restaurants if they can do this. We just told you're not essential. We don't want this to spread. You're done. You just happen to be in the wrong business, I guess. Some businesses, I get it. As I said, large sports stadiums and concert, I, uh, that's kind of tough. But a small store or a small restaurant, that's not tough. I'll give you an example. This, this couple that owns this restaurant, they're dear friends of ours in Florida. They have an inside area and an outside area under a tiki or whatever they call those things. It's a significantly area. It's a fairly large area. They could easily have 10 guests there eating, six feet apart, outside. They'd never go inside. Easily. And they can put in other protections. Why can't they do that? Why can't they do that? If they were delivering prescriptions or mail... They could do it. They're making diapers or toilet paper. They could do it. So this uh, Peter Navarro likes this uh, Defense Production Act. Says this way we can get things done more quickly. Well, if you're going to shut down all the businesses, why do you even need a Defense Production Act? Because those particular businesses need to stay open. And that, then I guess those businesses on their assembly lines and in their, in their corporate boardrooms and all, I guess they can adjust, right? Otherwise, if they get sick, too bad, right? I'm getting increasingly frustrated. My wife will tell you, I couldn't even sleep last night thinking about this stuff. I'm sure many of you can't either. It's just really, uh, I've never seen anything like this. The virus, never seen anything like that. And I've never seen anything like what's going on around it. Some of it is justifiable. There's no question about that. But we're not even allowed to talk about, think about, have a task force to look into 
opening up different parts of our economy, looking industry by industry, small business by small business. Why not? Don't forget, I'll be on Hannity in about 40 minutes, 9.20 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.20 p.m. Pacific Time, and all other related times. You've heard this today. I've heard you hear this today. As soon as I saw it on the Internet, I knew every radio broadcaster would play it and not give credit where credit is due. I will give credit where credit is due. It came from BizPack Review. And even their comments have been regurgitated by broadcasters all over the country. And I'll tell you what it is, and they're right. But I play fair. It's called ethics. They did the work. They get the credit. Here's the president at the State of the Union speech, February 4, 2020. And keep in mind, it wasn't until February 5, 2020, that the Senate finally ended the coup trial. Cut one, go. Protecting Americans' health also means fighting infectious diseases. We are coordinating with the Chinese government and working closely together on the coronavirus outbreak in China. My administration will take all necessary steps to safeguard our citizens from this threat. Now, you and I, we watched this speech very, very closely. We saw a few things. Number one, not a single media person commented on that. Not one. Not one. Number two, not a single guest commented on that. Not one. Number three, as the posters at BizPack Review noted, Nancy Pelosi's response was to rip up the speech. To rip up the speech. And days before the President of the United States ordered the border closed, travel to and from communist China, for which, of course, he was attacked. And I'll have you know and remind you that he did that literally days after Dr. Fauci told podcaster Castamides, an owner of WABC, by the way, that this really wasn't much more than a bad flu. Trump concluded it was worse. So this is what the president said on February 4th. You didn't hear a single Democrat talk about it? You didn't hear a single news person mention it? I'm talking about in the State of the Union speech. And yet, I can tell you, having worked for President Reagan, that space in a State of the Union speech is precious space. Every cabinet secretary, every agency head, every issue-oriented matter... People try to get into the speech. That's how big the speech is considered. This was in the speech. And got no attention whatsoever. The same frauds in the media. We played you that montage by Grabian, another wonderful site, in which Democrat Party presser, if they're Democrat Party presser, that is phony journalist, told people, just go on with your lives. They all thought it was 9-11. was horrific, but it was different than this. This is different than that. And the media have only gotten worse since. Worse since. Lousy. All right, Mr. Producer, do we have a caller to whom I shall speak? And also send me the link so I can pull up the, uh, the phone board, please. Go ahead. 
on the Mark Levin Act in Charleston. Bonnie, how are you? Well, I'm fine, Mark. I have a message for America. I'm 73 years old. I have an 80-year-old husband. Mm -hmm. I will take care of myself. I can self-quarantine. Please go back to work. And listen, go back to work can be done in a very, very responsible way. Nobody has asked any of these businesses what they would do in the physical structure of their businesses to address the virus. Many of them have ways to do it. I've seen it with my own two eyes, haven't you? I've seen it at the grocery stores and the post office. But, Mark, they are assuming that we senior citizens who have been through a lot of stuff in our lives. No, 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 look, I can't can't go with you all the way because if senior citizens get sick on a massive scale, uh, it's not only horrific heartache, but the rest of the country has to pay for it, too. You see what's going on. I think senior citizens, particularly those that have some kind of morbidity, should stay home, should be careful. And should ride this out. I really do believe that because I care about them. That said, everybody's not a senior citizen. Everybody doesn't have a morbidity. Every business is not irresponsible. And this needs to be sorted out rather than massive government deficit spending that's going to put this country economically on its back for a long time. It's just a matter of time and has changed the relationship of the government to the individual. Thank you for your call. Who else do we have, Mr. Producer? Woodstock, Vermont, on the Mark Levin app. Tom, how are you, sir? Mark, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you. I was listening to you, well, for as I always do every night here on my mountaintop in Vermont, and when you were talking earlier about the trillion dollars, and it's something that I've been speaking to my friends and family about for years, is that nobody understands what a trillion dollars is. Mm-hmm. And so I translate it, and I say, Take a guess what a trillion seconds is. And people have no idea. You'll hear, you know, 50 years, 100 years. And no one knows that a trillion seconds is 31,000 years. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about paying down a trillion-dollar deficit or a $4 trillion... Here's the dirty secret, and I know where you're getting. It's not going to be paid down. And that's why I'm so afraid, Mark. I'm 56 years old. I'm a veteran. I proudly served under Ronald Reagan. I'm worried about my kids, my grandkids, their children. We're going to have to pay this thing off. For yep. we, we can't fight the fight anymore. We all hover in our houses. And I'm thinking, you know, I live in a small Vermont town where tourism, restaurants, retail stores is the, is the lifeblood of our economy. We mm. will not survive this. And if we're just one small town in Vermont, a, a population of 620,000, we have 330 cases. That's 0.05% of our population. Our government has shut down our economy. And we will not survive this. Businesses will go under. And there's no great outbreak in Vermont. No, none whatsoever. And we, so just in case there is, they shut down Vermont. Yeah, exactly. Our rhino governor, you know, placating to, you know, the common will, I guess, of this is what we're supposed to do. But I talk, my neighbor is a restaurant owner. He, will, he has expressed numerous times to me he won't survive this. And I know I was a small business owner. You cannot borrow money to pay payroll 
to survive this thing when it's an indefinite. You might as well pay people to dig ditches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, it's the same thing. You're going to pay people to work at a restaurant that's not in business. No, it's not. And anybody who's been in business knows that. And they're looking at this going, why would I borrow $1,000 a month to float something that may not recover? It's insanity. And by the way, these people have lives too. They're not going to spend their life serving as a a wash-through to pay other people. That's not why they're in business. No. No, they want to serve their – like you said before, they want to serve their customers. They want to serve the economy. They want to serve their local – Well, how does this stimulate a damn thing? It, it won't. And, and when all said it, we can all hibernate in our houses and feel better because we're not going to get sick and we're going to emerge in two months or whenever the, the almighty government tells us we can come out and there won't be anything left to come back to. <laughs> all right, my friend. I, I, I am very concerned, just like you and millions of you. I'll be right back. in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. So I'll see you in about 20 minutes or so on the Fox News channel on Hannity. Uh, where we're going to get into a variety of things. I don't know what he's going to ask me, but I do know what I want to talk about. Let's take a call. Let's go to Jonathan, Tallahassee, Florida, XM Satellite. Quickly, go. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on this evening. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Treasury Department and the Fed and how they're going to be working. One minute, go. Hi, this is Jonathan. I uh, was calling you. Just uh, one minute. Go ahead, Jonathan. That's Mark. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask you about how the Fed and the Treasury Department is going to be working together now. Um, I saw that they're going to be, uh, looks to me like the Fed is going to be accepting the risk and the Treasury Department is going to be retaining all the assets with this new stimulus bill. Um, What is your take on that, and does that effectively cut the Fed off at the knees? Well, I don't care if it cuts the Fed off at the knees. The what I got out of this is $4.5 trillion in loan authority. Effectively, that centralizes and nationalizes the private capital market. I don't really care about the Fed and the Treasury Department duking it out over turf. This is the greatest centralization of economic decision-making in the history of America. And you don't have to believe me, two brilliant professors wrote about it a few days ago in the Wall Street Journal. We've never, ever done anything like this. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, doctors, nurses, truckers, grocery store works, all you folks, all you folks 
who are helping us in every way imaginable. Thank you. I'll see you in 20 minutes on Hannity on the Fox News channel. Be safe and God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.